0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. The podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisation and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. If you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Joining me on today's programme on a bright but cool autumn day here in the capital is Daisy Learmond. Daisy is a director at the Wright Tuition Company Rochester, an extra tuition company which provides online learning and on-site classes. Uh, Daisy, very warm welcome to yourself and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: It's a real pleasure welcoming you onto the airwaves with us. Um, Normally, at this point in the programme, we'd start with the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID 19 situation, I feel it's appropriate that we approach it from that angle because it has proven to be such a significant challenge for leaders within all walks of life. But for you and your business, just to what extent has it affected your operations?
1: Um, Yeah, it's dramatically affected um, what we do. Um, Obviously, you know, we really want to have a safe, possible space um, for children to be coming into, and you know, our classes run after school, and children come from different schools. So it seemed, you know, in the early days that you know we could be a real place for this to spread or for it to mix. So you know, we may, we took steps really early on to just to, to, to close, um, and we had to pick up quite quickly. Um, new technologies to move what we were doing online and you know we found that some of our students didn't have um, the right equipment um, and also their lives have been you know pretty much turned upside down some of them so the idea of you know trying to log on and and carry on with what they were doing with us you know just wasn't a priority really for many of our customers Um, and then we did all sorts of different things really we started recording the lessons um and emailing the material so people could sort of work through it in their own time rather than having a set time to log on you know like the zoom classes that we had um and yeah we sort of carried on pretty much doing doing that and then we reopened our doors um in June, just very tentatively we we only have small group classes anyway so we've only ever had eight to ten in a group um but we have a waiting room and things like that. So we had to, you know, we put our COVID policy in place, um, for social distancing, closed our waiting rooms, had all the PPE for the tutors and things like this, and, and, and limited our group sizes to six. Um, and we've just kind of, you know, trundled along really. And um, we had a huge cohort take the 11 plus, just, and some of them are still to take it actually, but a lot of them have just taken it last weekend. Um and so we had a sort of extra panic of parents coming. I mean, it's always a slightly panic time of year anyway, because mm-hmm. it's sort of a year's worth of work for these children where they've been working towards this goal. Um and and yeah, so we've 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 changed our timetable multiple times. There's also so many things that we've done to try and accommodate what people want and the way the way that they need it. So um so yeah, and, and now we're also offering online lessons in recorded court to for children who might be isolating um, and, and all these
0: sorts of things. So it just continues. So it seems like you've been doing plenty over the uh, the lockdown period yeah. to sort of keep <laughs> connected uh, for sure. Um, and yeah. looking back on your experience of the last few months, is there anything you would say that going through a crisis like this has perhaps taught you in your leadership capacity?
1: Um, I mean... I've always known it, but, you know, communication with the team is absolutely paramount, you know, listening and Mm. communicating. We've had to just become really, really quick at responding to each other because things change on a daily basis. Um, You know, this business has been running for over 30 years and it's pretty much done the same thing, you know. Um, It grew very organically. Um, Just my, you know, my mother started it from a bedroom in a two-up, two-down terrace house. You know, and it just grew and grew, um, and it's been very much a sort of supply and demand situation. So we just feel as long as we keep our ears open to what the community wants and what the the customers want and the children need, and then it, and and what the team are feeding back to me, then you know that's that's all we can do. But you know, technology has been a big part of it. You know, we've all got WhatsApp, <laughs> and um, you know, as things happen. Uh, We we immediately sort of respond, you know, no matter what time it is. You know, I've got my team there. He will be communicating with each other late in the evening, um, first thing in the morning, you know, because anything can happen. You know, you've got children arriving on site and people are, you know, having problems with travel or whatever it might be, you know. So that's been a really useful tool. Um, I actually started running the business remotely um, two years ago. I had my second baby I decided to move away <laughs> um, and it was really difficult to convince people at the time that it would work um, but I've always been a big believer that it doesn't really matter how physically far away you are as long as you're mentally present and and, and you've got technology in place to support that so luckily I had databases and systems and communications in place before it all happened so I felt quite confident that I could keep on top of things changing and moving despite the distance, and I think that helps the tutors and, and everybody who works on site sort of understand that it could happen too, given the confidence,
0: I think. And we've obviously um, recognised during this period of time the importance of technology in keeping us all connected. And it could well play a very important role in future as well because there's a great debate going on at the moment about what's going to become of our working practices as a result of all of this. Um, If we address that first, can you ever see sort of conventional sort of classroom spaces, office spaces ever returning in vogue? Or do you think that there will be some sort of hybrid system where it'll be maybe one or two days a week in a sort of a collective environment and then a remote provision yeah. for the remainder.
1: I think a collective environment is absolutely essential and I think mm. for primary school age children it's just it's not the same doing it online. So for us this feels like a sort of temporary fix, although we are looking into it being a sort of um an extra arm business wise. And you know, some people want that with you know over lockdown we actually um, connected with a large um, Chinese community, and we were offering online lessons to people in China. So you know, there's that. But I think for our community, that we sort of feel that we owe our entire business to in in this small little town, you know, in Kent. Um, we we really believe in the small group face to face lesson. I mean, that's been our whole um, ethos and our whole sort of um, driver for the business. So you know, we don't. That's the best way to educate small groups. Um, but, you know, I think there's a space for both. And, like, say, you know, a hybrid thing could work. And, of course, the mainstream schools where the children are going every day, um, you know, it's not necessary, I don't think, for them to meet every single day. You know, what we do at our centre is um, one hour a week for most children. We've had children come to us who have come from Russia and, you know, have done a year's course with us and, and got through, you know, past the 11 plus. And, you know, they, what they can learn in such a short space of time is amazing. And um, so it, it, I don't think it's necessary really for children to have to go to school every single day as long as the course is um, properly designed and, and is bespoke for that child, you know, and that they have the support um, around them. So That needs to come from their teachers, their teachers and the parents. And I think so much of the work that we've done over the years is bringing the parents into that com- educational conversation, giving them the tools, you know, how can they help um, have a positive Um, relationship in the home around learning um you know a lot of what we do is it's sort of like counseling really around the idea of education and and how to achieve you know your goals as as a family i think you know as soon as people passed on the responsibility to educate their children solely to the state that's sort of where there was a a bit of a problem you know because then the parents feel completely um you know lost they haven't got the tools, they don't really understand the language of it, and they, mm. they don't feel confident about where their children should be or what they're doing, and sometimes they find communication with the school difficult, the schools are finding it impossible because there's just so many of them. Um. So, yeah, you know, it could be part of the solution, actually, reducing the amount of time children have to be in one place, um, mm. having much smaller groups once or twice a week with lots of technical sort of backups, and and hopefully that could bring up more um, space and time for parent communication, you know, get, get the parents involved.
0: Yes, um, I can certainly see where you're coming from, from that point of view, because I think that that sort of face-to-face human interaction and getting into a collective sort of classroom environment is very essential because there are some things that you just cannot replicate through technology. Yeah, um, it's, and albeit, it's so much clearer. Mm -hmm. and albeit we do see this as a temporary fix that can sort of be rolled out a little bit more sort of en masse and become another arm of the business just Mm -hmm. how sort of temporary do we think this actually is because even when we do have a working vaccine in place fingers crossed that happens um, and the virus itself is no longer a prevalent issue as an immediate danger just because Mm -hmm. of the impact this is going to have on anxiety and on people's confidence going out into environments where there are quite a few other people It could take a while for things to sort of revert to they were even when it's safe to do so. So It's going to take
1: a very, very long time for things to revert just in that respect. But also, I don't think people quite realise the huge impact it has had on this generation of children. Mm. You know, we we talk about it every year um, at the school, um, about making sure that your children are are just taking along doing something over the summer holidays. You know, that six-week break. Um, can really set children back if they do no work and any parent would would know, you know, oh, you know, we should have done bits and bobs over the summer, but we didn't. And now the child is almost sort of like a year behind. The amount they can slip by just not keeping that consistency is huge. So, you know, we're seeing children come now, you know, they've had a couple of months or or longer in some cases. And it's just, you know, they can be behind by up to two years if they're learning. Um, And it can be caught up. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. It can be caught up, but it, it very much depends on, you know, the language that's been going on around that. And, the you know, building confidence is the hardest thing, you know, it's the main job that we do really. And if a child has lost that, then, you know, it, it can be difficult to get back. Um. So, yeah, you know, I, it's a huge, in, I think it's going to be a very long-term impact. Um, and, you know, I think even when things do get back, the normal. Um, we're always going to remember this. We'll always have a pandemic policy, and mm. um, you know, if it happens again, we know that we can switch to you know the the, the off off site learning um, that we do. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been sort of inspiring to me as a as a sort of educator, thinking what mm. what we can put out there in terms of online <clears throat> resources. And I've actually started. Um, another business looking at, um, you know, offering a downloadable course to children who might be homeschooling. And another passion of mine is um, the environment. So I'm sort of trying to knit these two ideas together and produce a sort of academic um, course for homeschoolers with a very, um, very strong ecological um, sort of angle, really. Um, so we can teach children about the environment um, whilst they're doing math or you know um, comprehension or whatever it might be so that's a really exciting project for me and I'm hoping you know you hear about people who um, sort of have found a hobby or been more creative during this period and I think that's sort of just what's come out of that really for me.
0: And as an educator just because I'm sure you're aware there are quite a lot of young people out there at the moment who are probably looking on at this situation what COVID is doing to the economy and what it's doing to their employment prospects, who are probably quite downhearted about all of that. Mm-hmm. What would your message be to those youngsters that may well be tuning into this podcast today to really sort of get them to pick up their heads and embark on the road to success during such a trying period?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think just keep going. Find something that really interests you and hone in on it, you know, because um skills are needed in the workplace. They will be. Um, you know, there will be better employment in the future and I just use this time wisely to really sort of explore your interests. It's much easier um, to study when you're following something that interests you and I think sometimes it takes a long time to work out what that is. And, um, you know, there are so many resources now and free courses and, um, you know, resources you can look into. So, yeah, you know, I think just take this time to investigate, really, um, I think the world is changing in terms of um, you know careers and jobs. You know, it used to be that one person would stick to the same job for forty years, um, you know, and, and these days we're expected, or it, it's much more common that you'd you know swap and try your hand at a number of different roles. Um, and I think that's exciting for new generations coming through. It just means that perhaps the old education system doesn't quite fit the new. Um, the new uh, world, you know, the the way that people work in careers. Um, Mm. I do feel like, um, you know, I I really have a a big appreciation for um, handmade things, you know, skills um, that require people to, you know, work with their hands. And um, I think there's going to be a big demand for things like that. I think that moving away, perhaps, from, you know, these mass produced um <clears throat> factory made cheap items because of the environment, you know, and I think people are appreciating, you know, stonework, metal work, pottery, things like this. So, you know, it's important to have an academic education so that you can communicate so that you can prove to the workplace that you are determined and that you have good work ethic. Um <clears throat> and some of those academic skills will be useful to you if you go into, you know, certain areas but don't forget, you know, um, we still need people who can um, make art. You know, we need that for society. And I just, you know, my heart goes out to other friends of mine who are in um, those industries because I feel like they've really been squeezed. And I think it should sit side by side. You know, I think academics and art need each other. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> I
0: think I've gone off on a tangent Mm, I do see where you're coming from though there Daisy for sure I think you are right in the sense that academics and art do need each other I think that's very very true as much as there is a need for skills out there at the moment and Mm. um, just because I am conscious that our time on the programme is beginning to draw to its close today I would like to talk about the uh, the future just to finish up because um, it is going to be a very testing 12 months for business coming up um, especially with the winter approaching we know that we're going to have to persist with the new normal for quite some time yet and we may have a working vaccine at some point in the next year we might not but at this point in 12 months time where do you see the right tuition company being and what is it that you're really hoping to have achieved?
1: Well um, we're hoping we've we've made a a huge uh, recent partnership with a large grammar school in the area and so you know we're really trying to um, extend what we do to a wider community, and we're offering classes from um, that location to children um, with all sorts of concessions. Um, so you know, we're really hoping to kind of close the gaps, really, between. Um, it's always been a bit of a, a hot topic, you know, extra tuition, and um, you know, who can afford it and who can't, and if it's fair, um, and. So we're trying to sort of do our best to close that gap and offer free seats to children here on school meals. we've always done that we've always had our scholarships that we offer academic and um and our concessions but yeah we um we're really excited about this project and and it's it's you know it's a girls' grammar school also so you know we've been supporting girls in the local community and I think that's really really important to kind of you know go to the to the primary schools and explain that, you know, this is a realistic option for you. Because I think there are lots of children from families who just, you know, never consider it, you know, just think it's a piece of them. So, you know, that's hopefully where we're going to be, we're hoping to roll that out in, in January, all being well and um and just continue expanding in that way. You know, we're looking to run um our classes from as many, you know, sites as possible um within reason you know we want to just maintain um, the quality of the service that we provide but yeah this whole new sort of idea is, is really about closing that gap um yeah and we just like everyone else you know we just cross our fingers and hope for the best we just take what's what's coming and and kind of roll with it really and um, we're so lucky that we have got the customers um that we have you know and, and, and that they are committed and um and, yeah, you know, I try not to think about it. I try not to think about COVID itself, you know. just sort of knuckle knuckle down on the day-to-day jobs that we have and hope that we're planned and prepared. And, um, you know, I really hope that there are some systems that can be organised for the children um, who have missed, like I said before, you know, who have really, really fallen behind. We've tried to contact council and various other organisations to say that we actually have facilities available in the daytime um, that we could be offering up, or we we could, you know, uh, partner with or connect with any of these other um, sort of more central organisations who are trying to help children catch up. Um, but it seems quite difficult, really, to communicate with schools. They're so busy, um, mm. and I don't know. Maybe there's the, the political issue with the fact that we are private, um, but. Yeah, um, it seems like a lot of work is going to need to be done to to catch children up. um.
0: It certainly seems as if the education sector does have quite a lot on its plate, and it is going to be quite a challenging academic year during this time as it grapples to deal with the challenges of the uh, the pandemic. But let yeah. us hope that it comes through that in good stead, and we can then start to see some return to normality within the sector um, in, with regards to children's progress. And of course, yeah. exams being taken on time because that is so, so important. And just yeah. given the amount of variables that there are still in this, Daisy, I actually think it would be really beneficial from a listener's point of view if we could catch up at some point in the next year and welcome you back onto our show yeah, just to see how some things are starting to progress from your point of view.
1: Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, that'd be good. Hopefully, um, hopefully we won't be in the same situation as we are now, but yeah. Um
0: no, you certainly yeah. hope by then that there would have been some tangible progress to report on there, uh, certainly. So yeah. um, let's hope that we aren't stuck in this rut for too much longer. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, it's been a real pleasure from my point of view, Daisy, having I you did. with us today. And um, do also, most importantly, take care and stay safe in the meantime with everything that's still going on, because we're certainly not out of the COVID woods yet, are we? No, not
1: really. <laughs> Thank you.
0: I'd also like to reiterate that last message there to every single one of our listeners tuning into today's programme. Please do continue to look after yourselves and be considerate of others. Stay well. It does make such a difference in saving lives. Um, It was a pleasure for me to welcome Daisy Lehmann, Director at The Right Tuition Company, onto today's programme. Next up on the show, we're going to be joined by Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary and incumbent Leaders' Council Chairman, Lord Blunkett lord Blunkett is a politician who enjoyed a distinguished career despite being blind from birth having held numerous senior positions in the cabinet of tony blair during his premiership and served as the mp for the sheffield brightside and hillsborough constituency for 28 years he was elevated to the house of lords back in august 2015 and i do hope that you enjoy listening just as much as matthew relish the opportunity to speak with him that is coming up next
3: Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to. But we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery Whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time.
2: Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak?
3: I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local